0: So, yeah, 1965, Righteous Brothers. And that song still moves me. It really does. And, and I think the most powerful line in that song is, Are you still mine? Because anyone who has been in a relationship, anyone who has loved and, and, and been loved and given love, at some point, doesn't that cross your mind? I'm vulnerable here. Are you still mine? It's, it's like the cry of the human heart. And more and more in our culture, sadly, the answer is no. It's, it's easy to become very cynical about love in our culture. When you see divorce rates of 30 40%. How can you trust someone? How can you believe that they're still going to be yours? I, I know I've experienced that. 27 years ago, four years into my marriage with Jan, I walked into our home and looked her in the eye and said, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. And, and you know... <laughs> Things have not exactly gotten better in our culture over the last 27 years, have they? I mean, it seems like every few years there's some fairy tale couple that's going to come in and prove once and for all that love can last for a lifetime, that love is real. Uh, maybe the latest is uh, Blake Shelton and uh, Miranda Lambert. Uh, well, maybe not so much. Uh, well, maybe the one that was going to prove it was real was. J-Lo and Puff Daddy or P. Diddy, uh, no, no, nobody. everybody knew that was never going to last. But the one, the one, you have to admit this one, the one, year 2000, the biggest stud in Hollywood, the guy at the height of his career marries the most beautiful woman on television in the most popular sitcom, and of course you know who I'm talking about, Brad and Jennifer Aniston, Right? And that was 2000, and that was it. This was the fairy tale couple, the two of the most beautiful people in the world, and they were gonna make it. They were gonna last, uh, well, turns out five years. And so here I am, folks, 27 years after I told Jan it's over, I don't love you anymore. And I'm up here delivering a message called Love Never Fails. You have a right to be cynical, you have a right. It's a legitimate question to say, Al, how can you say that? And, and I, I want to get serious for a minute. I really do. That question deserves an honest answer. It deserves a thoughtful answer. And my hope and prayer is I will give you that today. But first, I want to pray, and I I do this before all my messages, because the the Bible says very clearly that the, the persuasive words of no man, I don't care who it is, the greatest speaker on earth, the persuasive words of no man can change your heart, can change the deepest fibers of your being. Only the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, can do that. And so I will always begin my teaching by asking the God's presence to be here, and I'd be so grateful if you would join me in that prayer. Father, I, I thank you for music and the way it stirs our soul and, and prepares us to hear your word, and Father, I, I'm, I'm so aware of the truth that you lay out in your scripture that unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. Father, we, we don't want the labor put in this morning to be in vain. And, and I love my friends at Rock Hills. Please, please, Father, would you come and do something, move in their hearts and their souls and make eternal changes that only you can make. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's, it's my contention, it's my belief that there have been some very sick and distorted images and and, and concepts that have come into our culture's version of love. And, And so it's so appropriate that here we're on Valentine's Day and I'm giving this message about love never fails because we see some of those distorted, crazy images on Valentine's Day in particular. I think we have one here today. You may recognize this cute little fellow Yeah, there he is. That is actually uh, Cupid. It comes from Cupido. It was the Roman, it's from Roman mythology. And Cupido, who we call Cupid, was the god of attraction, erotic attraction. And then the Greeks had a similar god, Eros. And so Cupid is has come to to be part of our culture. And the idea, of course, that the Greeks and the Romans believed was Cupid would fire his arrow and whoever you were talking to, whoever you happened to be with at the time, when that arrow struck you, you had an irresistible uh, attraction to that person. And those kinds of crazy concepts and images have infected our culture, haven't they? Now, we're way too scientific and way too smart to, to believe that, right? But I'm telling you, they have corrupted our image of what love is. Jan and I do a lot of mentoring and, and some counseling with couples, and time and time again, somebody will come in. And we'll be talking with them, and one or the other person will say, "You know, I, I was at work, and and I ran into this person, and and we couldn't help it. We just fell in love. You know, it was like, you know, it's not really our fault. I did nothing to to cause this to happen. It was." And they might as well be saying, I got shot by Cupid's arrow. I mean, even in our modern culture, that those kinds of, of ideas are, are under the surface. And don't even get me started about our, our vocabulary. We have no vocabulary, really, to really deal with this concept called love. Many of you would say you love fajitas. A lot of you would say you love the Spurs, right? Some of you would say you love your dog. I know my, my wife would. So given that you love fajitas and, and love the Spurs and love your dog, what does it really mean when you say to your spouse or your, someone you're in a relationship with, I love you? It, it really starts to lose any kind of semblance of meaning, doesn't it? And yet, I'm up here, and I am saying that love never fails. And, and I think it would be appropriate, and, and some of you may even be thinking, no, wait a minute. If love never fails, how can you explain to me all the divorces and all the broken relationships? And the fact that people are, are so afraid now of marriage and commitment, afraid of being, having their heart broken, they're not even getting married. How can you explain that, Al? And, and the first thing I would do is, is answer with a question to you. How would you explain people who have been in marriages 40, 50, 60 years who would say they are in love and have a deeply satisfying marriage. More personally, I would say to you, how do you explain Jan and I? I promise you, you could hook us up to lie detector tests. You You could give us truth serum. And we both would say we are more in love today than we were 31 years ago. We would both say we believe with all our heart that we will be more in love 10 years from now than we are right now. We would both say we are 100% certain, absolutely certain, that we will be together until death do us part. No doubt in our minds that either of us are leaving. We are staying. We are, we are seeing this through to the end. We are 100% certain of that. How, could we, how, could, how do you explain that? You see, my life took a dramatic turn 27 years ago. Shortly after, I walked out on Jan because I began a spiritual journey. And that spiritual journey, after much heartache, much study, much reflection, much reading, resulted in me putting my faith in Jesus Christ and following him. And then I had another journey, and that that was the study of this book, And after years of studying this book, a couple of years of studying this book and how it was put together, I came to the conclusion that this book is the revelation of God. And every time I put my faith and my trust in this book, my life gets better. And so, today, you don't need to hear Al Hassler's version of what love is and how to keep love going. You need to hear God's version. And so today, really, my message is going to have two parts. Very simple. First part is... God's characterization of love, what God says love is. And the second is two very practical, I believe, principles for sustaining a long-term marriage that will be loving and satisfying. And and trust me, even if you're not married, there's some stuff in here that will be helpful to you, so so bear with me. So those those are the two things we're going to do today. The first scripture I want to go to is a scripture that is so profound and so infinite in its implications, it's almost impossible for us as humans to grasp. It's 1 John 4, 8. And John, the one who knew Jesus so well, wrote these words. God is love. Think about that. God is love. That means at his very essence... At the very core of his being, the word that most clearly characterizes and summarizes who God is and what he stands for is the word love. Honestly, if you could get your arms around that, I think that would take your breath away. You know, I I would have thought... it's impossible for humans even to grasp the distance between here and the moon, 250,000 miles, much less the distance to the sun, which is 93 million miles away. We cannot even fathom a universe billions of light years across. If someone had said, God is power, I think I could understand. Any, any being that could go and just breathe this universe into existence is a powerful God. We'd have to agree with that. And to say God was, was power, I think I could grasp that a little bit better. Or maybe God is wisdom or God is understanding. I, I think I could grasp that. But God is love. That That's something I'm still trying to get my arms around, still trying to contemplate and, and find, find a category in my mind for that reality. One of the things that helps me Is that God has given us a little bit more of a description of that? And it's in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And that's really what this series uh, is built on this idea of love. And and many of you are familiar with this passage. I think we have it here. And it goes like this Love is faithful, love is kind. It does not, excuse me, love is patient, (laughs) love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude or dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It makes no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, if you read the entire Bible, you, you understand that that's a partial description Of love, and and therefore a partial description of God. But it's a good one. It's a good starting place. And so I hope you noticed on your chairs there's a card and it has this verse on it. And here's what I please consider doing this. Carry this around with you for a a day or a week or a month, however long it takes, and commit those verses to memory. And, And here's why. To know. The reality of God's love is one of the most precious things that you can have as a human being. To be able to feel it, to be able to grasp it, to be able to start to comprehend it would be encouraging when you're discouraged. It would, be, it would give you faith and hope and strength. And, and so I really want to encourage you to do this. I think you will be incredibly moved by it, and I think your life will be better off for it. And so we gave you these cards and I really want to recommend you carry those around with you and commit these verses to memory. And then you will know, whenever you doubt God's love, you can look at these qualities and begin to have a grasp of what His love is like. And one of the ways I help it helps me to conceptualize this is if I think of Jesus and, and, and apply these somehow in the context of Jesus. And the reason I say that is, in Colossians 1:19. Paul writes to us and he says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And we see a similar thing in Hebrews 1.3 where it says that Jesus' character is the exact replica of God. Do you get that? All God's fullness is in Jesus. Jesus' character is the exact replica of God. So as we read these qualities and we see them displayed in Jesus, we have a better concept of God, because the the Bible says we can never see God. God is without, uh, He's not constrained by time and place. He's not an embodied being. We do know that God is is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, but God the Father is someone we'll never be able to see, but we'll be able to grasp Him because of these qualities. And so as we think about Jesus, think about the patience of Jesus. I mean, if you read the Gospels, it, it almost gets comical the way his, his apostles and his disciples just, they can't figure out his parables. He tells them to do things and they don't do them. Uh, you know, he's suggesting stuff and they're doing the exact opposite and he just has this incredible patience throughout the Gospels. And then kindness. Think, think of the moment he came upon the woman who had just committed adultery and she was caught in the act, and, and folks, that's a horrible thing. Back then, it was, it was worthy of being stoned, and they were about to stone her, and think of the kindness that Jesus displayed to the woman caught in adultery. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Boasting and pride, do you, do you equate that with Jesus? Think of the fact that the God of the universe came to this earth, and the night before he was crucified, he washed the feet of his apostles. To say that he isn't, doesn't boast or is not proud is, is such an understatement. He, he's not rude or he doesn't dishonor others. Jesus was never rude, he, he never dishonored other people. He, he um, is not self seeking, he is not easily angered. On the cross, he was naked. They were hurling insults at him, he was in extreme pain. They were mocking him and laughing at him. And what did he do? He prayed for them. He's not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrongs. I'm so glad he doesn't keep records of wrongs. We go on and on through this verse. And he always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The fact that he always protects. The night before his crucifixion, the Roman soldiers came for his guys, his apostles, And Jesus said, look, you can take me, but don't lay a finger on them. And they didn't. He protected his men. And the fact that he always perseveres, that is so crucial to the gospel. Because the night before he was crucified, Jesus had some idea what was coming. And he's praying to his father, Father, if it's your will, could you take this cup from me? And his father apparently said no. And so Jesus went to the cross. He persevered. And love never fails. Now we're back to the question from Unchained Melanie. Are you still mine? Can I count on your love? And the resounding answer we get from God is love never fails. Yes, you can count on it. Look, I'm a numbers guy, and maybe this is a coincidence, but there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, Okay? That means there's a center chapter. There's 594 chapters before it, 594 chapters after it. The chapter of the Bible that's right dead in the center is the 117th chapter of Psalms. And I know somebody like Colin's going to check me out on that. You'll find out I'm right, Colin, trust me. And what is right at the center of the Bible? It's this amazing two-verse chapter. And here's what it says. We have this for you. And this is what it says. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Great is his love and his faithfulness and endures forever. You see, there's an amazing concept in the Old Testament. There's a Hebrew word called ahava, and it's a love of the will. What it means is it's a love that says, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you do. I am not going anywhere. That's the love God displays. Love never fails. And really, folks, that's the essence of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't it? You see, when we were in the garden in this perfect setting with God, human beings rebelled, and, and we rebelled against God and broke our relationship with God. It would have been very easy for God to say, okay, that's it. It's over. But God's love never fails. And not only that, it's an initiating love. And so in John 3, 16, one of the one of the most famous verses in the Bible, right? We all could probably recite it. God so loved the world. And this is Jesus talking. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what that's really saying is I'm going to initiate reconciliation because my love never fails. But God, another aspect of his character is his perfect justice. He couldn't look at us and say, you raped, you murdered, you lied, you stole. Eh, that's all right. Forget about it. Come on up. He couldn't do that. In his perfect justice, he had to ensure that the price was paid, the penalty was paid. But in his perfect love, he initiated and came down and paid the price. And what the gospel says, what Jesus was saying in that verse, is my love never fails. And if you choose to put your faith and trust in the fact that I paid the price for your rebellion, then the love relationship with God is restored. And that is the gospel. And now you begin to have some idea of what the Bible says about the love of God. So now I want to go on to two very practical principles for having a long-term, a lifelong and loving and satisfying relationship in your marriage. First is very simple, and they're both from, the, from this, these, this section of verses in 1 Corinthians 13, so you can put that back up. The first principle is simply this, if you want to have a better spouse or have a better friend, you need to be a better spouse. You see, if you look at these verses, these are all character qualities, aren't they? Love is patient. Love is kind. These are all things I can work on myself. You know, I I scoured these verses for that moment where it says, don't forget to give Jan advice about how to be a better wife. Don't forget to nag her when she's not doing things the right way. But you know what? I didn't find it. These are character qualities, and it's meant for me to work on. So if I want to have a better wife, it's very simple. Be a better husband. And we all know this dynamic, parents out there. How many of you care about who your kids are hanging out with, who their friends are? I guarantee every single parent cares. Because they know there's this dynamic woven into the fabric of the universe. You become more like the people you are spending time with. If you you spend time with good people, you become a better person. And I've seen this in my 31-year marriage with Jan. Most of you know Jan. You know she's an amazing woman of character and integrity. And, and that amazing character of hers has exerted this gravitational pull over the 31 years, making me a better man. It's an inevitable uh, reality that God has ordained into this universe. And so whenever, and it doesn't happen very often, whenever I think, boy, Jan needs to step it up in this area or Jan needs to do this, I immediately turn that around and say, you know, nagging and advising, that's not going to help. But there is one thing I can do. If I want to have a better wife, I can be a better husband. And you know what? I tell her that because I want to encourage her. And it usually looks something like this. Jan, I promise you, until I take my last breath, I will never stop trying to be a better husband and a better man. And, and I want to disconnect my performance and my conduct as a husband from anything Jan does. I'm not waiting for her to be a good wife before I decide to work on those qualities and try to become a more patient, kind, loving man. And what we've seen in our marriage is this amazing dynamic where I strive to be a better man, and that somehow pulls her along, and she strives to be a better woman, and that somehow pulls me along. So that's the first principle. If you want a a loving, committed, long-term, satisfying marriage... All you need to do is work on yourself. If you want a better spouse, be a better spouse. The second principle I see in these verses, it's not quite as obvious, but I think you'll see it as I talk about it, is simply this. Love will never sustain commitment, but commitment will always sustain love. You see, what's crept into our culture is this idea that I will stay committed to you as long as I love you, right? That's really what we're saying. Even when two people get up, and I've done some many wedding ceremonies, and they say, yes, until death do us part, I'm, I'm committed to you for life. What they're really thinking, because this is what the culture has told them, well, unless, of course... We fall out of love and then we have a right to get divorced because no one expects you to stay married to someone you don't love. I mean, that's crazy talk, right? And so, what's crept into this culture is really something not much different from the Cupid arrow, right? As long as I love you, I'll stay committed. But if Cupid's arrow somehow hits me, sorry, not my fault. No one expects me to stay married if I don't feel love. And so, how can you trust anyone in a long-term relationship? You're right back to the question in Unchained Melody. Are you still mine? That, that question will never leave you unless unless you have the kind of love that God has. It's a beautiful Hebrew word. It's in the Old Testament. It's called Ahava. And it's this, it's this love that... I will always be there. I'm not going anywhere. It's the love of the will. And, and there's this amazing dynamic, again, that God has built into the fabric of things. And that is, as you have that kind of love, your own feeling of love is energized. And, and so I'm not going to lie to you. This this feeling of love is, is some, somewhat unsettling. It, it kind of moves around you know, most people would say that one of the most romantic pieces of literature ever was Romeo and Juliet, right? And, and the most romantic scene in Romeo and Juliet is the balcony scene. And they've fallen in love, and they're swearing their love to one another. And, and, and Juliet is saying, can I trust your love? And, and Romeo says, I swear by the yonder moon. And Juliet, in, in this very touching and heartfelt way, says, no, Romeo, please. Don't swear by the moon, the inconsistent moon, that your love be likewise variable. She wanted something that she could trust more than the consistency of the moon. And that's what we all want. What can we trust? And what I'm telling you is what we can trust is a Hava. And this principle that love can't sustain commitment, but commitment can sustain love. And so again, I just need to demonstrate this to you. So over and over, I will say to Jan, Jan, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Until the day we die, we will be together no matter what. And you know what I feel even as I'm saying those words? I feel the feeling of love well up inside me. Do you understand? That's God's plan. That's ahava, that that commitment to stay there, that you're not going anywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. This ahava, it isn't always quite that romantic, okay? I don't want you to think it's always rose petals falling from the sky and fairy dust and hallmark trinkets scattered around. That's not always the way ahava is. Many of you know our story. For four years in our marriage, I was emotionally abusive to Jan. I treated her very badly. I was harsh and, and mean, and, and I was unfaithful. And I hate that I was like that. And, and then when I became a Christian, and we began to work on our marriage, and we began to have this ahava, it wasn't fairy dust and rose petals. So, you know, as we worked through the anger and the hurt, there'd be explosions of conflict and and it'd be more like knives whizzing past my head and it's like, I'm not going anywhere, you know? So don't romanticize this too much. But you come out the other side of it and it's one of the most beautiful and precious things that you will ever experience. Ahava, God's love. It's the love of the will that says, I am not going anywhere. And so now we come back to Unchained Melody, right? And there's, there's some realities in that song that I love. There's some realities in that song, some, some lyrics in that song that just stir me. When, that, when Jesse is singing and, and, and the guy is singing I hunger for your touch. When I'm away from Jan, we've been married 31 years, I hunger for her touch. When when those lyrics say, I need your love, God speed your love to me, I'm not afraid to say I need Jan's love. It makes me a better man. It inspires me. And so there's so much about that song, I love, But there is one line that will never, ever be part of the reality of my marriage to Jan. And that's the line that says, and that's the question, are you still mine? Jan and I have put that question to rest forever because we have discovered Love of God, a Hava love, and we have discovered the deepest reality of God's love, and that it never fails. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your love. I'm grateful that you've that you rescued me at a moment when I was going to make the biggest mistake of my life. I'm so grateful on this Valentine's Day that I can stand up here in front of these people and Jan and I know that we will be together for life. But it's only because of your initiating love, the love of Jesus. And my prayer today is that everyone here experiences that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.